Y'all ready for the Bible today? Okay, we got lots of Bible, and I'm going to try to go fast and hard because today's an interesting type of message today. Uh, and Joanna's going to hang out with us on the piano today because uh, this is going to, the whole time, not because I need mood music, but when she's on piano, it makes me go faster um, because we got a lot of business to do today. Today is going to be a... Um, a tactile message because of some of the things that we're going to do within this message. Uh, we're going to attempt as a church today to both take communion and do baptisms all in one day. <clears throat> it is Christian gymnastics, okay? Um, we got a lot of stuff going on today, and we have a lot of Bible to get, to, uh, get through today. So can I um, ask you guys to do me a favor? Uh, would you give me permission today to read very long portions of Scripture? Okay? Very, very long portions of Scripture. Um, and lots of it uh, so that we can set everything up today and do it appropriately. Does that sound good with everybody? All right, so here's our first section, Colossians chapter 2, verses 4 to 15. The reason we do this, um, just so you know, if you're a guest with us today, the reason I like to read longer portions of Scripture is I don't like to just highlight the, the one or two verses uh, that are applicable to our teaching, but it's important that we see it within the whole context of what's being written within Scripture, Okay. Uh, this is Paul writing Colossians chapter two, verses four to 15 says this. I, I'm saying this, and this is, this is what preceded. Uh, I'm saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. How many of you know that's happening right now uh, in our world right now? A lot of us are being convinced by arguments that seem reasonable until we really bite into them and realize they're poisonous. All right, that's for a different message apparently. For I may be absent in body, but I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well ordered, every shout ordered, <laughs> you are, and the strength of your faith in Christ. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him. Why would he say continue to walk with him? Because people stopped walking with him. Being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Come on, somebody, can we be a church that is overflowing with gratitude? Why? Verse eight, be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy in empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature, now this is, this is where we really get into the meat of what we're gonna be studying today. For the, entireness, the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. And now you were also circumcised, come on, we yell, ouch. Some of you need to loosen up today. My goodness. You were circumcised in him. Just so we're clear, with a circumcision not done by hands, every turn your neighbor say, few. <laughs> by putting off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ, when you were, here it is, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Now, when he's talking about uncircumcision and circumcision, the Old Testament way in which you understood that you were a person of God is through the act of circumcision. It set you apart. It made you holy in this way. Now, he's saying, 
And when you were dead in the trespasses and in the circumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave you all of your trespasses. He erased, oh, here it is, the good news of the gospel. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. Oh, and he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he disgraced them publicly. And he triumphed over them in Jesus' name. Paul the Apostle is writing to us about two key features of our faith today, which we're going to talk about. He's writing to us um, in some ways metaphorically about baptism he talk, as he talks about circumcision, or excuse me, communion, as he talks about circumcision and uncircumcision of our hearts. And then he talks to us about baptism. All of this is represented by the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus that we see captured right here in Scripture today. So... As we continue on our series, Tethered, I want to speak to you from this subject today. Two sacraments, body, blood, and water. As we look at the sacred act of communion and baptism, we pray with me just one more time today. Jesus, we love you. Oh, we love you. We're thankful for your presence in this place today. And so God, as we just take a moment to breathe, to rest, to be in stillness. God, I pray that your peace would fall like a blanket in here. Your peace that surpasses all understanding. God, we thank you for your presence today, that it heals us, makes us new. Even right now, we're being washed. We are being made whole by your spirit and by your presence today. You're giving us life. And God, may your word today do what you promised it would do. Let's take root, flourish in our hearts, causing us to be made new. We love you. We honor you in this place today in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, and the church shouted. And the church shouted? Amen. Amen. So Joanne's going to hang with me today uh, because we're going to take communion together in a few minutes, and then we are going to... Uh, into the waters of baptism today. And today's gonna be, I believe, even for just one or two of us, a very special and life-altering day today. Um, I, wanna, I wanna ask you a question. Does the world seem thin to you right now? Some of you might be like, well, what does that mean? Does, does the world lack meaning right now? How, how many of you, show of hands, let's just be honest today. How many of you would say, man, it, it just seems thin and, and lacking in so many ways, ways right now? How many of you, like, it's kind of pointless and, and um, it, it seems like there's just a lot of nonsense right now. Come on, ha- hands up. And I'm not just talking about ethically or morally, but just in general. How many of you maybe, um, if we can just therapy moment for just a second. I'm, I'm trying to find meaning right now and it seems like it's really difficult to do in this world. How many, how many of you would say, man, that, that's... It's kind of what I'm seeing right now. We turn on the news, we, we get on media sources, we get on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and Twitter and all the other things that we hop on. And how many of you would say that this is shallow? Lacking in power and strength? Come on, how many of you agree that the world right now is lacking in conviction? And we're reaching for stuff. I'm reading this book right now, it's called Awe. The Science of Wonder. It's not a Christian book. It's by a secular writer. He's a scientist and a, does philosophy and psychology. And um, I, just so you know, I read a lot of things from different camps because I like to, to understand how people are thinking. But it was a really interesting point 
that he makes, a very salient point. He says that the world is looking for all right now. All of us are looking for all right now. And he describes the world as being a thin place, lacking in anything substantive. And so they do a bunch of resource across people groups and across nations and cultures and ethnicities and different socioeconomic realities in life. And as he does this research, he comes to the conclusion and he calls them, when you read the, just even the first chapter of the book, he introduces us to what he calls the eight wonders of the human life. Now, please, just so I'm very clear about this, this can sound kind of like mumbo jumbo and kind of like nonsense and is dizzy into crystals as well. <laughs> so, but I, I, like, I like the idea that he's trying to go at. And, and this is what he says. He says the human, and he names these eight wonders of life. And he talks about, he talks about community. He calls it something else. He, he calls it, um, he calls it uh, collective effervescence, which is weird, but a uh, better word would be community. It's a normal word, right? Uh, community gathering. He talks about music. He talks about visual, uh, visual realities, whether that's through art or standing on the side of the mountain. He goes through all of these different things. And then what's interesting is he concludes on the backside of this chapter. He says, out of these eight wonders of the human life, you know what's never talked about across all of the research? No one ever comments about money. No one ever comments about sex. No one ever comments about violence. No one ever comments about overcoming things. Like when it comes to personal achievements, they always go back to these things that, that look like standing on the side of the mountain or being in community. One of the biggest things that he said, it was really interesting that was talked about across all of these different demographics is that one of the greatest and most um, compelling moments of awe is when groups of people stand together and sing. You ever been to a concert before? and know that the, that the band that's playing is definitely not a worship team. <laughs> Come on, somebody, right? Like, I, I, like, I've been to many concerts, but have you ever had that moment in the concert when everybody's singing the song and the lighters go up, or now the phones go up? Some of you are like, what's a lighter? Phones go up, <laughs> right? And have you ever, ever thought to yourself, man, this resembles a worship service. And there's something powerful. People leave, changed, because they were singing together in a moment. I say all that to say is that the problem that we face now is that these ancient realities of our faith have lost their power and their purpose in our age of technology and speed and global connection and staunch individualism. For many of us, the idea of, uh, of, of holiness or, or awe, it seems irrelevant and archaic. The speed of the world that we live in has caused us to abandon a way of life and being that it's only developed in time and tension, that's where holiness is found. I've realized that sacred paths tend to be slow paths. As one author would say, our new age requires ancient pathways. In his manifesto for silence, Andrew Sullivan so pointedly wrote this, there are books to be read, landscapes to be walked, friends to be with, life to be fully lived. This new epidemic of distraction is our civilization's specific weakness. And its threat is not so much to our minds, even as they shapeshift under the pressure. The threat is to our souls. At this rate, if the noise doesn't relent, we might even forget we have any. The call to the holy has always been the antidote to the individual and collective drift towards speed, efficiency, automation, neglect, busyness, selfishness, and the loss of purpose. The prophet Jeremiah was engaged in a battle that once again we're involved with today, if we would open our eyes and recognize it. 
fighting against the genuine reality, come on somebody, of losing our souls. See, we have a call to the holy, but unfortunately we're being baptized in the profane. The prophet Jeremiah was addressing his nation, which had gone astray as they had been caught up in idolatry, excess, comfort, apathy, and entitlement. Does that sound like the world that we're living in today, church? Come on, does that sound like the world we're living in today, church? A people who had seen God move on, on their behalf, now whose hearts were cold and hard towards the things of God. The truths that had been so familiar to them, truths passed down through time, were now abandoned and seen as religious and out of place. Jeremiah chapter two, one through three shows how the children of Israel would walk with God in closeness and in intimacy. And that as they did, they were protected, they were provided for, and they were kept. Jeremiah chapter one, verses one to three, listen to what it says. The word of the Lord came to me saying, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord. I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a, as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of its harvest. All who ate of it and cured guilt, disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. You see the intimacy in that piece of scripture. God's saying, you've walked with me, you've communed with me. I've been your God, you've been my people. But if you fast forward to Jeremiah chapter six and verse 16, we have a very different reality taking shape. They had lost their way. Come on, show of hands, has any of us lost our way before? Come on, can we be honest in church today? No plastic smiles today, no masks. Come on, show of hands. How many of you would say, man, I, there's been moments I've lost my way before. You might be sitting here today because you've lost your way, you wandered in here, and can I tell you today, God wants to put you back on the way. You just may not know it yet, but they lost their way. And I know we don't like to say it because it's hard to hear, but the truth rarely comes as a friend of convenience. In our postmodern, post-faith world, we're now hashtagging the fracturing of our souls with terms like YOLO and FOMO. As John Mark Comer would write in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, Psychologists tell us anxiety is often the canary in the coal mine, our soul's way of telling us something is deeply wrong and we need to fix it fast. Anxiety has become the identifier of a generation living on the edge of constant frustration, numbing, isolation, and fatigue to where John Mark Homer would go on to say, hurry is a form of violence against the soul. I just wanna say to us, stop looking at your watch right now in church. Man, when's this service gonna be done? I've got, hurry. Got an agenda, I've got a thing. And then we wonder why, how come I'm not meeting with God or how come I don't feel the presence of God? Is it potentially because God is walking slower than you are? Is it, is it, is it possible that some of us are hurrying past the presence? Come on, am I talking to anybody in church today? Some of you didn't show up for this one today. We've given up on ancient paths. We've traded them for hurried paths and rushed paths. We've lost the ability to see and engage with the holy. We've sequestered that which is to be revered to the corner of the room and labeled it as religious, legalistic, unloving, and irrelevant. We've traded a deep acquisition of faith for cultural assimilation that anyone can pair it with Christian phases and t-shirts. And in doing so, we've allowed the sacred to fade away. Can I just 
submit something to us today, church. We've taken away the meaning of our faith. Oh, we say things like we want to go back to how it was in the New Testament when everything seemed like it was on fire. And it was, wasn't it? Literally. (laughs) But we want to do it in less than an hour. Come on. We want to do it where there's, no, where there's, where there's nothing that gets in, in my way. I want to make sure that I can get out of the parking lot in 15 minutes or less. I want, to, I, want to, I want to fast forward through the boring parts of the message. Shout out to our online crew. Come on, am I talking to anybody in church today? I'm trying to build attention in this because of what we're going to discuss today. More than ever, we need the sacred. We need to bring meaning back to our faith. Psalm 119, 49 through 56 says this, remember your word to your servant. You have given me hope through it. Oh, this is my comfort and my affliction. Your promise has given me life. Come on. The arrogant constantly ridicule me, but I don't turn away from your instruction. Lord, I remember your judgments from long ago and I find comfort. Fury seizes me because of the wicked who reject your instruction. Your statutes are the theme song during my earthly life. What? Think about that. Come on, how many of you have his statutes as a theme song during the life? Just playing in the background. Dun, 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 right? Like, Lord, I remember your name in the night and I obey your instruction. This is my practice. I obey your precepts. So how do, how do we do this? This is the power I want to submit to us today of communion and baptism. Communion and baptism is actually what brings meaning to our faith. It's not the right song by the worship team. Although Joanna's laying down some thick pads right now and it's fantastic. Come on. Louder subs don't bring the Holy Spirit. Although the worship team would disagree with that. Being constantly active in, in, in busyness of church doesn't, it, that doesn't bring meaning. Although it's important to do those things. I want to submit to us that the reason that we have these two sacraments, baptism and communion, is because it brings meaning to this faith that we have in Jesus. And it's so important for us. J.I. Packer writes in his book, Concise Theology, a guide to historic beliefs, historic Christian beliefs. Listen to this. The term sacrament. Now, I want to pause here before we put this up. The term sacrament. Take that off, guys. Um, (laughs) That was really fast. Thank you. I'm going to pause for just a second and be pastoral. I know there's people in this room today and all across our services today that have different faith backdrops. So when I use the term sacrament, some of you are freaking out right now. Um, For some of you, even though I don't like saying this, it is a trigger word. Um, I hope to bring clarity to this term sacrament. It's a beautiful word, but I will say this. It's not in the Bible. Oh, it got real silent in church. The term sacrament is not in the Bible. Now let's read. Y'all with me? Watch this. The term sacrament is from the Latin word sacramentum, meaning a holy rite in general and in particular. This is what it means. A soldier's sacred oath of allegiance. I love the idea of a soldier's sacred oath of allegiance, what it provides for us. And depending on your faith background, the word sacrament carries a lot of baggage. It carries misunderstanding and even pressure. 
And I hope that, we, that that can be cleared up today. Just because a word has been misused or misrepresented doesn't mean that we have to abandon it altogether. We simply need to come to a better understanding of what it means and how it's employed. A soldier's sacred oath of allegiance. So when it comes to a Protestant understanding of both communion and baptism, now we're gonna go academic for a second. Packer continues on by stating this. These are called sacraments in the Western church, speaking of baptism and communion. Mysteries in the Eastern Orthodox church and ordinances by some Protestants who see the other two words as tainted or unhelpful associations. Biblically speaking, we see the words communion and baptism communicated in Greek and Hebrew. So the term sacrament is simply language that works to explain what they are in relationship to the believer. Nothing more, nothing less. Although the term sacrament works to bring a holy or sacred connotation to the two, both of these beautiful and essential truths found in scripture and necessary for the life of the believer. Now, according to the Westminster Confession, communion and baptism are to put a visible difference between those that belong unto the church and the rest of the world and solemnly to engage them in service of God in Christ according to his word. That's the Westminster Confession. Again, Packer on the matter writes, this study of the rites themselves yields the concept of a sacrament as a ritual action instituted by Christ in which signs perceived through the senses set forth to us the grace of God in Christ and the blessings of his covenant. They communicate seal and confirm possession of those blessings to believers who by responsively receiving the sacraments give expression to their faith and their allegiance to God. Simply put, when we take communion and we enter in the baptism, uh, the baptismal waters, we are simply saying, I belong to Jesus and I am following him. That's what it is. He goes on with this statement that I absolutely love. Listen to this. He says, as the preaching of the word makes the gospel audible, so the sacraments make it visible and God stirs up faith by both means. Isn't that awesome? We can all read our Bible, but how many of you would agree that when we preach the word, there's something different about it? How many of you have maybe sat in a service before and you've read a piece of scripture before, but when we preach it and when we teach it, it feels different, it it sounds different, it looks, and more faith comes out of it. Come on, how many of you have stood next to the baptismal tank as people went down in the water and came back up and realized, Mo, there's so much more to my faith. One of the best baptisms, and I don't want to embarrass her, but just a beautiful, beautiful lady, a part of our community here, Kathy. I don't know how many of you were around when she got baptized, but I could have left after that to watch Kathy go down into the waters of baptism and come back up, the radiance on her face, the smile on her face, the beauty, the lightness. And I went, that's why I follow Jesus. According to another theologian, sacraments strengthen faith by correlating Christian beliefs with the testimony of our senses. It's one thing to believe theologically that I've been buried and raised again with Christ Jesus. It's another thing to feel that amongst my senses when I am put in the water and come back out. 
the point. Sacraments help us see in order that we may believe. They're given to aid our faith in understanding the explicit truths contained and communicated through communion and baptism. I love this one. Listen to this. In his book, The Church, Contours of Christian Community, theologian Edmund Clowney writes this. The Lord's Supper, speaking about communion, is not a self-served frozen TV dinner enjoyed alone before the television screen. Baptism is not to be celebrated in the privacy of one's bath or shower. May I add in our first world problems, our swimming pools or our hot tubs. Western culture has, oh, listen to this, such rich. Western culture has made religion a private matter. Tolerating Christian faith that does not go public or behave in ways that are politically incorrect. The sacraments, however, require us to confess Christ's name before others, even in hostile societies where we risk persecution. And here's the thing, here's the thinness that I'm starting to see. Baptism looks very different in the Western church than it does in the Chinese church. Come on. Or in the Afghanistan church. You just start filling in the blanks. We've lost the holiness of it. So let's look at each of these sacraments a little bit more closely in the remaining time that we have left, which is not long. Jason, you better speed it up. First one's this. The first one I want to look at is communion. Every shot, communion. communion. So communion defined as the right, R-I-T-E, the right that authenticates or expresses communion or fellowship with Christ. The sections of scripture that bring definition to this statement on communion, which according to the Westminster Confession again is this, our Lord Jesus in the night wherein he was betrayed instituted the sacrament of his body and blood called the Lord's Supper to be observed in his church unto the end of the world for the perpetual remembrance of the sacrifice of himself in his death, the sealing of all benefits thereof unto true believers, their spiritual nourishment and growth in him, their further encouragement in and all duties which they owe unto him, and to be a bond and a pledge of their communion with him and with each other as members of his, they use this term mystical body, spiritual body across the planet. The sections of scripture that bring definition to the statement on communion are found in what can be described as the four institution narratives. Matthew chapter 26, 26 through 29, Mark 14, 23 to 25, Luke 22, 17 to 20, and 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 25, as well as other sections of scripture that speak to communion. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 to 21, Luke 22, verse 20, 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26, 1 Peter 1, uh, verse 19, and 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. You got all that? Everybody shout, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. J.I. Packer writes this, the Lord's Supper is an act of worship taking the form of a ceremonial meal in which Christ's servants share bread and wine in memory of their crucified Lord and in celebration of the new covenant relationship with God through Christ's death. The act of communion adorned the first century believers as an act that distinguished them from everyone else. 
This act of communion brought a holier, sacred demeanor to their gathering together. Typically, this act would be seen in more of the house churches, but we know that even in the physical and numerical growth of the church, communion was a critical behavior. This is why Paul the Apostle in his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 to 21, and then later in 11, verses 23 to 26, he would work to bring clarity and order to the administration and significance of the sacrament. This is why he would say, listen, y'all, stop getting drunk on the communion. Now, we don't do that today because we have little grape juice pods. <laughs> Unless the grape juice pods are left out for a few years, everyone's good today, okay? But just for clarity's sake, communion was done with wine and bread. And there are still faith traditions that use wine and bread for authenticity. We use grape, ju uh, grape juice and wafers just because we have kids and uh, a larger congregation, so we make ease of use a little bit more. But I'm gonna be honest with you, I'd have no problem going to two and a half hour services if it meant bringing holy back. <laughs> that was not in my notes, but I better say it out loud as we talk about how we negotiate all the space issues around here. So, uh, the holy practice of communion carries with it significant imagery for, for our faith that reminds us of the great sacrifice and redemptive reality found in Jesus. It reminds us of where our sustenance and power, life and breath and forgiveness and grace and mercy come from. Communion tells us how good of a gift that Jesus is to us. Communion reminds us of the broken body and the shed blood for the remission of sins. Do we still believe? Do we still remember that you and I are sinners in need of a savior and we are saved by grace and the blood reminds us of that? And it's not a metaphor. So this is Jesus' teaching in John chapter 6, 47 through 69. This is a really long piece of scripture. I'm not going to read it all, but Jesus starts talking about himself like bread. That's his illustration. He's like, guys, I'm bread. When you eat of me, you'll never be hungry again. In verse 60, therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Because previously he would say this, whoever feeds on me, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, how many of you would have a pause if I stood up here and said something like that? <laughs> Jesus said it to his disciples. Jesus, knowing to himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, asked them, does this offend you? Can I ask you a question? Does the sacrifice Jesus has provided for us offend us? Whew. So when we take communion, we're reminded of the offense of the cross and the beauty of it all at the same time. So he's like, if you struggle with this, verse 62, then what, were, what if you were to observe the Son of Man? Listen to what he says. He's precursoring what's gonna happen. He says, what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Now, remember, if you get to the beginning of Acts, Jesus is going to ascend. So he's like, if you can't believe my teaching now, you're going to struggle with what your eyes are going to see then. Edmund Clowney comments on this section of scripture as he writes, the sacrament brings both assurance of the saving power of his death and the joy in the renewal of his life. Now, one caution that is super important for us so I can just bring clarity 
to this little thing called the Great Reformation that took place. It's where Catholics and Protestants diverged on this issue, is that the act of communion is representative of the body and the blood of Christ. It is not literally the body and the blood of Christ. Okay? So the Catholic Church, without going into all my notes here, um, the Catholic Church believed in this little thing called transubstantiation. Fantastically small word. Um, And what they believed is that when you partook of communion administered by the priest, that the bread and the wine would literally turn into the actual body and the actual blood of Jesus. Just so we're very clear, we don't believe that here. We diverged with the great reformation and the Protestant faith that came out of it. So when we take communion in Christ, we're simply stepping back for a moment and we're remembering the broken body. Come on, somebody. And the shed blood. Jesus would institute this. If we're not careful, we can become more superstitious about communion than we need to be. Now, we're not told scripturally to do it every single week as we gather. Some churches do. It's not wrong. It's not right. And I would also say this is a caution. Communion is, biblically speaking, for those of us who are put of faith, our hope, and our trust in Jesus. Because here's the problem that's taken place. In our desire as a church to be open arms to everybody and anybody who comes in here, what we've done through the act of communion and just giving it to anybody is we've given it to people that don't really understand what it means. That's why I'm bringing teaching to it today. That we take communion to remember not from a religious reality, not from a, this isn't Christian magic, not from some superstitious reality, but we take the bread and we drink the juice to remember, oh yeah, his body was broken for me. Oh yeah, his blood was shed for me. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Come on, somebody that saved a wretch like me. And I, you may be perfect, but I'm far from it. Come on, come on, somebody. This is why we take communion, and this is why in this moment I ask you to stand. Oh, we're going all liturgical today. Next to your seats at the end of the aisles, you'll find the communion baskets. Can you begin to pass those across the aisle and everybody take one? And I would ask you this, and I would say this today. If you're in this room today and you would consider yourself somebody who does not have faith, in Jesus, in the gift of his broken body and his shed blood. Just let it pass by, it's totally okay. I would love for you to just take a moment and understand and see what's going on in this place. But if you would call yourself a believer today in this place, oh, come on, somebody, take this. Found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23, Paul would, through his letter, lead his church in the sacred act of communion, which we're now going to take it together today. Everybody standing in auditorium one and auditorium two. Jesus, not my words. May your presence be here right now. Paul writes this in verse 23. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, 
This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you take and eat this morning? Now, I want you to listen to this, church. Close your eyes if you need to. Because Paul would say this in the same way he also took the cup after supper. It wasn't immediate. I wonder what was going through his disciples' minds. I wonder what they were thinking about as they would break down that bread, that they would ingest it. They would talk amongst one each other, with one another. They would laugh. They would commune. There would be moments of silence. And after supper, after they had eaten, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. And as often as you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, listen to this, you proclaim the Lord's death yes, Lord. until yes, he Lord. comes again. Yeah. Would you take and drink today? Can we lift our hands to heaven all across these rooms today? Auditorium two, auditorium one, from the back to the front. Oh, Jesus. We receive communion today. Yes with soft hearts and open minds. We thank you for the broken body upon the cross. And we thank you for the shed blood because in the blood was the forgiveness of our sins. And we thank you that as your body was broken and your blood was shed, you defeated death, hell, and the grave. You defeated the enemy. And while it was painful, while it was brutal, it was beautiful, God. So I pray today that we would understand our sins drove the nails. That for you to rescue humanity, for you to make a way, for you to save us, it required a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice. And so today we thank you for that sacrifice. In Jesus' mighty name. And the church said, amen, 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 amen. All right, great liturgical moment. Please be seated again. (laughs) Baptism. It's the rite that authenticates or expresses union with Christ. Galatians chapter three, verse 27 says this, for those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. Don't worry, we're getting ready to end soon. Some of you are like, is he starting a new message? (laughs) Yes. There is no Jew or, oh, we're baptized into Christ and have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. 
Romans chapter six, verses three to five. Are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ is raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, and we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Oh my goodness, I love these truths of our word. I love these truths of our faith. They bring meaning to who we are as followers of Christ. We don't live in a thin world. We live of a different world, church. It's not flesh and blood that we combat against, but it's powers and principalities and darkness, and we have already won. Again, Clowney states this in baptism, that life appears as the life of the new birth in the spirit. With Christ, we are buried and we are raised to new life. Now, I I want us to be very clear about something around here. It's an essential truth about baptism and communion. And the spiritual body known as the church. Baptism is not required in order to attend a physical local community known as a church. However, baptism is a right, R-I-T-E, expressing our identification with the body of redeemed saints known as the church or the bride of Christ. Y'all see the difference? Therefore, baptism is a vital part of our discipleship journey as a follower of Jesus. If you are in here today and you consider yourself a follower of Jesus and you have not been baptized yet, get baptized. And when I say get baptized, I'm gonna encourage you to do it today. Now I'm gonna get real emotional. I don't know what's going on with my old age, but (laughs) as as I read scripture nowadays, it is so difficult for me. I want to take us to one more section of scripture today that I believe is one of the most significant sections of scripture for our consideration today. One that I hope will inspire you to step into the waters of baptism today. We've got people that are already getting baptized in between each of our services over in the hub. But I know that for some of us, even just one of us today, that today's your day. You're a believer of Jesus and you've yet to be baptized. Or some of you are going to say yes to Jesus today. And I want to encourage you, since we've done a message like this today, say yes to Jesus. And then I want you to swan dive into the waters of baptism. And we prepared. We've got shorts. We've got towels. We've got everything, like shirts, everything that you need to do this today. All right. As the team comes up. Actually, no. Don't team. You stay. Just, it's just me and you, Joanna. We're going to keep it. We're going to keep it because here's what I'm hoping. Some of us will walk over and we will celebrate those who are being baptized today. Listen to this piece of scripture. Acts chapter eight, verses 26 through 38. And I apologize because my goodness, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. This is going to be a new break, a new section of scripture teaching us in Acts chapter eight. Angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Watch what he said. Get up, go south to the 
to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship. There's so much in this scripture I'd love to preach about, but we'll save it for another time. He'd come to worship in Jerusalem. Now, wh- listen to these words. Church, you have, to, you have to pay attention to scripture here, okay? This is really important. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah out loud. Now, this is wild. This is where it gets wild. The spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. And when Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I? He said, unless someone guides me. Can we just stop for just a second? This guy goes to Jerusalem to worship. We don't know why. He opens up this scroll, presumably, and is reading the prophet Isaiah out loud. We don't know why. And then when Philip engages with him in a conversation and asks him, do you understand it? He says, nope. <laughs> How many of you have felt like a ch- that's a church service for you in one day, right? <laughs> How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe this generation for his life was taken from this earth? The eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about? Himself or someone else? And Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. Who is this talking about? And Philip's, oh, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about the one who came and died and lives again according to prophecy. And as they were traveling down the road, they came to some water, not special water, not purified water, not mountain water, just some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him in Jesus' name. No waiting, no rationalization. His world was no longer thin, it was thick. There was meaning, there was truth, there was foundation. He realized, oh, this is what my heart has been longing for. Oh, this is what my body's been reaching out for. This is what my mind has needed all along. And his name is Jesus. He lived, he died, he rose again, and he'll come back. Oh, there's some water. Let me be baptized. 
So for some of you today, I ask this question, what would keep you from being baptized? Well, I need to invite my friends and my family. Nope. I need my coworkers. Nope. I need my special outfit. Nope. I need all the religious accoutrements to it. Nope. Look, there's some water. Come on, would you stand to your feet? We're going to end this service so differently than normal today. All of us standing today, heads bowed, eyes closed. First and foremost, if there is anybody in here today that would say, I need this Jesus that we've talked about all day long today. I have not said yes to him. And oh, you're, you're, you're wanting to jump out of your seat right now going, this is what I've been looking for. If that is you, and you want to say yes to Jesus and follow him today, shoot your hand up right now if that's you today. I want to pray with you, pray over you. If you would be in this room today saying, this is me. This is, I, I need Jesus right here. Anybody else today, put it up big and high. Don't be scared. Don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated. You got a, you got a room of people standing with you. Praise God. Right over here, sir, I see you. Anybody else today? I don't want to leave this moment. Right back over there. Anybody else today? Jesus. Would you all pray this out loud after me, all of us together? Jesus, I'm saying yes to you. Thank you for saving me. Through the cross, through your resurrection, and through your ascension, I am saved by grace. In Jesus' mighty name.